This morning, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Colossians, chapter 4, where we find our text for today, Colossians chapter 4. Last week, we started a sermon series titled, We Are the Church, and I began last week by talking about a healthy church, a healthy church, as, as a church of Christ, as a church that Jesus established here on earth, it's important that we be a healthy church. And so if you weren't here last week to listen to that sermon, I invite you to go to our website or to look us up on Apple Podcast. Uh, take a listen to that message because I think it's, it's an important message for us here today. And today I want to talk to you about uh, a praying church. Last week I spoke about a healthy church. Today I want to talk about a praying church. And next week I'll be speaking about a, um, a soul-winning church. And that's kind of a working title that, that may change a little bit, but we'll be talking about evangelism. But today we're going to be talking about a praying church, and I want to read from the book of Colossians, chapter 4, verse 2. And it reads like this, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Then let's go ahead and read verses 3 and 4, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So verses 3 and 4 we're going to talk about next week when we talk about a soul winning church. Today we're talking about a praying church. So we're going to focus on verse 2, which says once again, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Now, in recent years, many people have, have started mocking others, uh, Christians, and, and others who, after a tragedy, will say things, and you hear this a lot, will say things like, our thoughts and prayers are with you. When somebody goes through a, a tragedy, there's, there have been some, some tragedies, there have, been, there have been some weather instances, or maybe some, some shootings, some of these mass shootings, it seems like we're seeing more of. Um, around our country, and many times people respond with that phrase, our thoughts and prayers are with you, our thoughts and prayers are with the school, or with the families, or with the city, with the town. And, uh, but some people are mocking that, in re- <coughs> excuse me, recent years they've started mocking that. In fact, one TV news host said this on the air, he said, you think leaving it to God is the answer? He said, we pray for strength, we pray for wisdom, for resolve, but we clearly don't want to act on any of those here. So what are you praying for? And basically what he was arguing for was a gun control. And he was saying, hey, if you're not for gun control, then what are you praying for? That's the only thing we should be praying for. Um, you know, just uh, kind of mocking people who believe in prayer. People who just, who just say that as a way to empathize. And really, I think a lot of people who say that maybe aren't really praying. But it's their way of, of empathizing with those that are hurting. But this week, another politician who is well known uh, in our country took this type of mocking to a new low. After this horrendous shooting that we, we heard about in New Zealand, what a terrible tragedy, what a terrible thing. And so again, many people were, were just horrified, were responding in grief, and, and some responded with our thoughts and prayers are with the, 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 that uh, those people in, uh, I was going to say synagogue, they weren't Jewish, they were Muslim. Uh, in New Zealand. But uh, one well-known uh, politician who goes by her initials, AOC, 
said this. This is the way she responded. She said, what good are your thoughts and prayers when they don't even keep the pews safe? You know, just really taking the, the, the mocking to a new level, to a new low. And she got a lot of pushback for those comments, and, and rightly so. But the truth is that there are people out there who don't believe in prayer. They don't believe in God and they don't believe in prayer. Now we as followers of Christ, we say we believe in prayer and we, we talk about prayer. But I want to ask a question, do we really believe in prayer? Do we really believe in prayer? And we may be among those who say, my thoughts and prayers are with you. Or, or who use other phrases related to prayer. But the question is, do we really believe in prayer? And I think the answer is found on whether we really practice prayer regularly, whether we live a life of prayer or not, whether we are devoted to it or we merely dabble in it. So a lot of us, a lot of people dabble in prayer. They'll do it when times are hard. They'll do it when there's a national emergency. Certainly when there's a family or personal emergency, they'll, they'll pray, they'll call on God and that's fine. But God called us to more than merely dabbling in it. He called us to be devoted to it. And that's Paul's clear command here in this verse that we read in Colossians 4.2. He says, devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. He says, be devoted, be devoted to prayer. Now the word for devoted or devote in the original Greek, which is the language that this letter was written in. The word for devoted means to persevere in something in a habit or in a cause, to persevere to the point of devotion. And the key word right there is persevere. To persevere, to continue is another word that means the same thing. To continue in something. It's the idea that you, you do other things, but you keep coming back to prayer. If you're devoted to prayer, then obviously you can't pray 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. But you keep coming back to it every chance you get. It's the idea that you don't give up on prayer. Like I said, you might give your attention to other things as, as, a, as a need arises. But you return time and again to diligent prayer. And that was really part of the point of a parable that Jesus told in, in Luke 18. If you want to turn with me to Luke 18. Jesus told a parable about a woman who was petitioning an, an unjust judge. And he was teaching through this story that we need to continue or we need to persevere in prayer. So uh, read with me. This is Luke 18 verses 1 through 5. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither, neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea... Grant me justice against my adversary. And I notice that verse 3 says that this widow kept coming to him. That's the idea of persevering. Remember how uh, we, the first verse, how uh, we read that Jesus told this parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. So here's the example. This woman kept coming to the judge with a plea. Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me. And this is the way that he saw it. Remember, he's an unjust judge. right? He's not a, he's not a good model for us. 
nor is he a type of God. But he said, because his widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. So the, the whole idea is that she was so persistent in this. And the teaching, Jesus was saying, if an unjust judge will grant this woman her request, how much more so will God, who is compassionate, God who answers prayer. See, the whole reason why Paul said, devote yourselves to prayer is because God answers prayer. He answers it. It's not surprising that this idea of persevering in prayer is found throughout the New Testament. And I'll just go through some of these very quickly. Acts 1.14, we, we, we read about the, the, uh, the followers of Christ after Jesus ascended. You know, the disciples, the apostles, after Jesus ascended to heaven, they met together. And here's what they did. Acts 1.14, these all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer. So we have a double emphasis, continually devoting themselves to prayer. Acts 2.42 says that they, speaking of the early church, they were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Acts 6.4 says that the apostles said that they would devote themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Romans 12.12 says this, rejoice in hope, persevere in tribulation, be devoted to prayer. Some versions say, continue in prayer. And it's the same thing. Paul wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 6, verse 18. Pray at all times in the Spirit with all perseverance. So this idea of persevering, of continuing, of being devoted to it, is all over the New Testament. Including in Colossians 4, 2, where Paul commands the church in Colossae. I think in the strongest of terms... When he says, devote yourselves to prayer. He commands them to be persistent in it. In the strongest of terms, as I said. He doesn't say, uh, church, you may want to start thinking about praying. Or he doesn't say, why don't you give it a try? See if it works. See if you like it. Think about giving it a try. Nor does he say, see if you can fit prayer in your day sometime. If you get a chance in the morning and night, whenever you can, just, you know, nothing else, pray over your food. Give thanks, thanks to God for your food. No, he doesn't say that. He says this, hey, you are a church. And by the way, the Colossian church was a pretty new church. And, and certainly he wanted to get them started on the right track. And he's basically saying, you're a church. And churches pray. And churches not only pray, but they're devoted to prayer. Now in our culture today... Many people who aren't followers of Christ and many people who don't even go to church regularly want to tell the church what they should be doing. Hey, you're a church. You should be helping the poor. Well, I, I agree with that. Or they say, well, you're a church. You should be fighting for justice in this area or in that area. Or you're a church. You should accept everybody no matter what their lifestyle, their sexual orientation, accept it. Well, I agree with that too. We should be accepting of everybody not accepting necessarily of their, of their lifestyle, but accepting of them and, and wanting to teach them God's word and help them to have an encounter with God. But we get from a lot of people in the world trying to tell us what we should do as a church. But Paul here, and, and please remember that Paul is writing this letter not to an individual, but he's writing this to the entire church in Colossae. And he says to them, you're a church and churches pray 
And not only pray, but churches are devoted to prayer. So, devote yourselves, plural. Did you notice that? He says, devote yourselves, plural, to prayer. Now, here's something that I think we need to understand, though, is that if we as a church are going to be devoted to prayer, then we must be devoted to prayer as individuals. If we're going to say that we're a praying church, then that means that we as individuals must be or should be praying individuals. And here's why. Here's why. Our church will only move forward in our calling that we receive from God to be a church. We'll only move forward in our calling to the extent that we as individuals are devoted to prayer. So if we as individuals are not devoted to prayer, we as a church will not be able to move forward. We as a church church will not be able to do what God has called us to do. We can have the greatest of plans and, and we can have the mission statement and the vision statement. We can even have the resources but if we're not devoting to pr- devoted to prayer as individuals, then we as a church are not, not going to move forward. It takes us as individuals being devoted to prayer. Now we all have different things we're devoted to in our lives, right? We have different things and maybe there's one or two things that we are especially devoted to. Some of these things that we're devoted to are good and maybe some are not so good. If you, were to, if you were to see my Instagram feed, which is where I spent most of my social media time. I don't stay on Facebook a lot except to post on our group page or on our uh, church page. But uh, if you were to see my Instagram feed, you see a lot of pictures that would show you, reveal to you what I'm devoted to. My family, like many of you. You see pictures of of our grandkids, of our family, of family celebrations. You would also see pictures of something else that I'm devoted to, and that's my health. So you might see some pictures of, of uh, some posts about running, some pictures of some of my uh, races. And, and then, uh, you know, you'd see things uh, about the church, because I'm devoted to my family, to my health, and to my church. But hopefully overall, you would see that I'm devoted to God. And if I'm devoted to God, I'll be devoted to prayer. Now, I won't necessarily put that up on Instagram or any other social media. That's not what Jesus calls us to do. In fact, he, he strongly uh, rebuked those Pharisees who prayed out in, in public for everybody to know. And he says, don't do that. You get into your prayer closet and you pray. So that's not something necessarily to put up in, on social media. But we do need to be devoted to prayer. So what does that mean? Okay, so if we believe that we should be devoted to prayer, what does that mean? How does, what does that look like? What does devotion to prayer look like? And when I believe that Paul answers that question by giving us a, an image, by giving us a picture of what it looks like in verse 12. Look at Colossians 4.12. It says this, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, Sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you. That you may stand firm in all the will of God. Mature and fully assured. Now what an interesting and powerful phrase. He uses there about Epaphras. Now who was Epaphras? Epaphras at this time was 
in Rome with Paul. This is why Paul knew him and Paul got to see him, got, got to see what kind of man he was and was able to know that he was a, a man of, uh, of prayer, a man who was devoted to prayer. So Epaphras was with Paul in Rome at this time, but Epaphras was originally from the town of Colossae. Now, Paul planted many churches, but he didn't actually plant the church in Colossae. Colossae was a, was a city about 100 miles east of Ephesus. And Paul spent time in Ephesus, but didn't, he didn't get to Colossae. And yet a church was planted there out of Paul's influence. We're told in Acts 19 that for over two years, Paul had a powerful ministry in Ephesus. And not just in Ephesus, but out of Ephesus with his, with his preaching. He had a powerful ministry in the area around Ephesus, including Colossae. And so many people heard the gospel through his ministry. And apparently one of those was this man named Epaphras, who, like I said, was, in, was from uh, Colossae. Now, Epaphras was saved during this revival that, that went out of, of Ephesus. Epaphras was saved and uh, he began to serve God. And, and in fact, it's believed that he's the one who probably went back to Colossae and he planted this church in Colossae to which Paul is now writing this letter, sending this letter. He went back to Colossae, began to, to tell people about the encounter he had had with Jesus and then he, he planted this church. He started this church in Colossae, the Colossian church. But now Paul, uh, or Epaphras rather, is with Paul in Rome. And he is going to hand deliver this letter, this letter that Paul is writing to the Colossians. We you know, we know it now as a book of, of Colossians, but it was a letter to the church in Colossae. And, and Paul wrote this and he gave it to Epaphras to take it to the church in Colossae. So... Paul is saying, Epaphras, who is one of you. So he's saying, look, he's, what, he's from your church. He came out of Colossae. He's one of yours. And he's a servant of Christ Jesus. He sends greetings. But this statement after that is so amazing. When Paul says of Epaphras, he is always. Notice the word always. Not sometimes. Not occasionally. He is always Wrestling in prayer for you. That is devotion. That is being devoted to prayer. He is always wrestling in prayer for you. That you may stand firm. Listen to this. That you may stand firm in all the will of God. Mature and fully assured. So obviously there was a connection between what Epaphras was doing. He was wrestling in prayer for the church. Which he may have started. A church which he still had, you know, very close and very dear to his heart. There was a connection between what he was doing in prayer, resting in prayer. And the church in Colossae becoming, even though they were young at the time, becoming a mature and uh, a fully confident church, assured and standing firm in the will of God for them. Now many of you know that there are women, and maybe women in general, are just really good at praying. And I don't know if it's because, let's face it guys, women have an intuition, right? They're, women are intuitive about certain things. This is why I trust my wife's uh, opinion and, and, and her, 
her wisdom and her perspective. And I'll, if you know, if I need a different outlook, I'll get her point of view. If I don't ask her for it, she'll give it to me anyway. And it's good. It's always good. I don't. I don't. I don't say that because it's bad. It's always good. But women have an intuition. Maybe it's because they're intuitive. Maybe it's because women are persistent to be a mother, right? If you're a mother, you've got to be persistent. You deal with so many things. I don't know why it is. I know we can learn a lot from women because many women are women of prayer. My mom has been a prayer warrior, as many of you know, for many, many years. And even now, my mother continues to pray and to intercede for many of us, for many of you. And I should really say for all of you, because she doesn't forget uh, prayer requests that she receives. My mom used to be a great preacher and a great teacher of the Bible. She can't do that anymore, but she can still pray. My mom used to have this great singing voice. I can still hear her voice singing growing up it was very strong and and if she was leading the songs we didn't call it praise and worship back then but if she was leading the songs then she always had a strong voice to lead and if she wasn't she was able to harmonize she was very good at harmonizing she used to do that really well she can't anymore but she still prays she was great at leading and organizing programs at the church whether it be children's ministry or youth ministry or women's ministry. I don't think she ever led the men's ministry, although I'm sure she wanted to. She was great at doing that. She had great leadership skills and capacity. But she can't do any of that anymore. But she can still pray. And she still continues to pray. And she prays like a spirit-filled woman of God. What she is. She taught all of us to pray. All of her children and all of her grandchildren as well. Taught us all to pray. We were taught to pray when, when we'd go to bed at night. We were taught, taught to find a, a place to, to kneel. And so if you, if you went, we always lived in small houses. There were, you know, there were four guys and two girls, four sons and two daughters, and then my parents all crammed into a small house. But when it came time to go to bed, we'd find a place to kneel and pray. Uh, I remember sometimes I'd, I'd go into the living room and, and just kneel there and pray, or maybe I'd uh, I'd go into the dining room, pull out a chair, and kneel there and pray. And it wasn't unusual to walk down, you know, maybe down the hall or down, you know, from one room to another and, and see one of my brothers or sisters praying here, somebody else over there. Uh, I never prayed at my bed because I, uh, I guess I did once in a while, but I, I had, we were in bunk beds and I was in the top bunk. Uh, but sometimes we prayed in the bottom bunk before our brothers went to bed. We would do that. In fact, I was thinking yesterday about how uh, one year Benji had a friend of his stay the night. His name was Henry. And I guess it was junior high school, more or less, that Henry was a good, a good friend of Benji's. And he, and he stayed the night with us and uh, with Benji. And so we weren't going to change anything. Benji wasn't going to change anything about his, his habit of prayer. This is the way we had been taught. And so I remember that uh, Henry, his friend, had gone, I think he had gone to the bathroom to change into his to his pajamas and he, when he came back into the room because I'm because I was already in bed and I was in the top bunk and I'm I'm kind of just lying there but I'm watching Benji came in first and he Benji knelt at the bed the bottom bunk we had two sets of bunk beds so the other one I was watching him he knelt in the bottom bunk 
And he knelt to pray. In the meantime, I could hear Henry coming down from the bathroom into the, into the bedroom. And I'm thinking, okay, this is going to get interesting. And so Henry comes in. I remember he had, I think he had something in his hand, his clothes. He was maybe folding them. And he had changed out of. And he walks into the, the bedroom. And he saw Benji. He did a double take. He went like this. He goes. He looked at him and didn't say anything. Then after a while, Benji's praying. After a while, Henry says, Benji, what are you doing? And of course, Benji didn't pray because he was, didn't respond because he was deep in prayer, talking to God, right? So, Benji, what are you doing? And Benji's just praying. So I told him, he's praying. And I don't know what else happened after that, but I, that's so vivid in my mind because my mom taught us to do that. And, so she, and she's taught her grandchildren to pray as well because she, she cared for a lot of them when they were young. In fact, uh, there's a story, and, and I don't know if I get all the details right, but it has to do with Micah praying in his class. And I think it was in first grade. He was in you know, one of the lower elementary grades. And he grew up, Micah grew up, excuse me. <coughs> Micah grew up uh, during the summers and whenever he wasn't in school. My mom would watch him, and he grew up listening to my mom pray. At 10 o'clock every morning, my mom would pray, and she still does. That was her prayer time. Don't call her at that time. Don't go over to see her. That was her prayer time. And so our kids, her grandkids, grew up observing that and, and participating. She would have them go in and pray with her. And so one day in, in class, apparently, um, Micah led a prayer. And the teacher told, uh, I guess his parents later, that he prayed like a Pentecostal in school because that's what he was accustomed to. And women just have, I don't know, many women are just, again, maybe because of their intuition, they're persistent, something else I'm missing, they're prayer warriors. And I thank God for that. But I've often wondered, who will take the place of my mom when she goes to heaven and become that person, that woman who is devoted to prayer? What woman in our family and what woman in our church will become that powerful woman of prayer. First of all, let me, let me say, we don't have to wait to find out. Any one of us, in fact, all of us can step up and become devoted to prayer. Man or woman, any one of us can, can become devoted to prayer. It's not left to women and it's not left to elderly women. And it shouldn't be left to women or shouldn't be left only to elderly women. Because I've heard people say, oh yeah, every church has that elderly woman who sustains the church. And, I, and I, I know that I see that, but why does it have to be only that elderly woman? Why can't all of us be devoted to prayer? Because Paul was not talking to elderly women here when he said, devote yourselves to prayer. He was talking to the entire church. And if anything else, he might have been talking more so to men than women. And here's why I say this. Because... It was Epaphras, the example that he gave of someone who was always wrestling in prayer for the church. Now, you might think, well, so it was a man. It could have been a woman. Yeah, it could have been a woman. But I like the image that Paul chooses here to show what devotion to prayer is. He, uses, he chooses an image of wrestling in prayer. It's, it's a masculine image. Now, I know, before any of you start complaining, I know that... That high school girls also wrestle. They have, they have uh, you know, wrestling uh, programs in high schools and so on. Um, but Paul wasn't thinking about that, about that because back in his day, there were no women wrestlers. There were just men wrestlers. 
So he's calling attention to a man who was wrestling, who was always wrestling in prayer for the church in Colossae. And I think he's speaking to everybody, but he's certainly speaking to us men. To become men who learn how to wrestle in prayer for the church. I've never been a wrestler. I've never been a wrestler. Uh, But I do know that the purpose of wrestling is to pin the shoulder of your opponent to the mat. Right? For a few seconds. To win that match. You want to pin their shoulder, the shoulder of your opponent to the mat for a few seconds. So Epaphras, when he was interceding for the church that he loved... He wasn't just praying for the church in Colossae as part of a 10-point prayer. Here's, here are the prayer requests. Here's number one, two, three. And there's nothing wrong with that. But he was doing more than that. He was wrestling in prayer. He was fighting. He was struggling. He was pushing. In fact, this morning I was watching a video and, and my wife just heard. And I was at the breakfast table. My wife just heard the the. The audio from the video. She said, what are you watching? I said, I'm watching, I'm watching a high school wrestling match. And, and, I'll, you know, and these are young men. I was, it was a men's, young men's match. Uh, who are trained. And, and you know, they, they train to wrestle. And they learn some of the techniques and, and stuff. Uh, that's what Epaphras was doing. He was, he was fighting. He was struggling. He was pushing. He was trying to pin the enemy, our enemy, is trying to pin Satan to the ground so the church could stand from the ground. Because when Satan is down, the church is able to stand. And so that takes me to this, this next very important point. And that's this. There is a direct correlation between wrestling and the spirit and the capacity of the church to thrive and to stand and to be all that God wills it to be. There's a correlation between someone, between the individuals of the church wrestling in prayer, wrestling in the spirit, and the capacity of that church to thrive, to grow, to stand, which is what what Paul said about Epaphras. He's wrestling so that you can stand. He's on the ground so you can stand. Epaphras is always wrestling in prayer for you. That's what he said. So I want to ask the question, where are the Epaphrases today? Where are the men and the women of God who will wrestle in prayer for the church and for the individuals in the church and for the families of the church and for the church itself to stand up and to do God's will? Where are the Epaphrases who will pin the enemy to the ground in prayer so the church can stand firm in God's will, mature and fully assured? Where are the men and women who not only strengthen their physical bodies, strengthen their bodies physically, which is, which is good, that is, uh, Paul said, you know, that, that has some value, but those who will also strengthen their souls and their spirits in prayer so the church can be strengthened in its capacity to be the church. Where are the Epaphrases? Where are the men and the women of God who will pray and who will wrestle in prayer? We need an Epaphras today. We need more than one. We need Epaphrases today who will wrestle in prayer for this church. For Solid Rock Church and for the Big C Church, the Universal Church.
You know, I think about Jesus, Jesus' words to Peter and the rest of the disciples in Matthew 16. When after Jesus had asked them, who do men say that I am? And then he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the, the Christ, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus' response to him in Matthew 16, 18 was this. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, and, and he's talking there about the confession that he made that Jesus is a Messiah. He says, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Then verse 19 says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now what's he talking about there? He's talking to us as a church. We have the authority to bind and to loose here on earth. In other words, if we're not the church, if we're not doing what God called us to do as a church, then uh, we're binding the good news of the gospel to people. They won't be able to know it. But if we are being the church and we're living as a church and we're praying as a church and we're evangelizing as a church, then we're loosening this gospel to go out and people to know Jesus. But I want you to notice two things about this as I get ready to conclude here. Two things about what Jesus said. On this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Two things. First of all, the gates of hell are prevailing in many areas of our society today. It's no news to you, to any of us, to see now that the gates of hell are prevailing against the schools. They're prevailing in government. They're prevailing in politics. They're prevailing in entertainment. But Jesus promised that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. This is why it makes sense, parents, for you to involve yourself, yourselves and your children, your family in the life of the church. If you're trusting that the schools and the, and, and the entertainment and the politics and the government and all these things are going to save you or save your family, it's not going to happen. Jesus never promised that the gates of hell wouldn't prevail against those other institutions. But he did promise that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. So this is where you and your children are protected against the attacks of hell. Secondly, is this. Being protected in the church against the gates of hell is not automatic. In other words, you won't find protection from Satan's attack, attacks on your family only by being superficially a part of the church. You must be devoted to God. And you must be devoted to prayer. And Paul makes this connection here. Wrestling in prayer. So that the church can stand firm. In the will of God. So the church can do what God has called us to do as a church. So when Jesus said. The gates of hell shall not prevail. Against the church. I believe he must have had in mind that it takes men and women like Epaphras to wrestle in prayer for the church so the gates of hell will not prevail against it. My mom wrestles in prayer for me as a minister of the gospel. She wrestles in prayer for this church. My mom has one remaining brother left in Mexico. And 
She talks to him from time to time. And she has told me that, that her brother, my uncle, prays for me. He, he prays you know, for all the family, but he, he mentions specifically, prays for me, and he prays for Benji. He calls me el pastor. ¿Cómo está el pastor? Estoy orando por él. And he, he, Benji, he calls him el misionero, the missionary, because of uh, Benji's annual trips that he takes to Guatemala. So I'm the pastor. He's a missionary. He says he's praying for us. And I believe he wrestles in prayer for us. But it takes more, as I said earlier. It takes more than just one woman to sustain a church. And can you imagine? Okay, let, your, let your imagination go wild for just a little while here. Can you imagine what would happen if we had here at Solid Rock Church an army an army of Epaphrases wrestling in prayer for the church, for our church. What a difference that would make. What a huge difference that would make. So, if you've been around here for a while, you know that here at Solid Rock, we not only, not only celebrate Easter, but we, we celebrate not just that one day, but we celebrate six weeks of Easter. Something we've been doing for a while now, for a few years, and I call it the six weeks of Easter. And the six weeks of Easter starts here at Solid Rock, starts for us next Sunday. Next Sunday is the first week of Easter. And what the six weeks of Easter is, is a, a campaign that we do every year. A campaign of... Praying, inviting, and following up. Two weeks of praying. Two weeks of inviting friends to come to our Easter service. And two weeks of following up Easter, after Easter, and after that first week of our post-Easter sermon series. But the six weeks of Easter always start with prayer. So starting next Sunday, which will be the first week of this campaign that we call the six weeks of Easter. Starting next Sunday, we're going to have four weeks, four weeks of Sunday night prayer that I want to invite you to. Four weeks of praying on a Sunday night, of learning to call on God for our church. It's not going to be primarily uh, praying for a prayer request. We may do some of that, but it's going to be wrestling in prayer and learning how to do that for the church. So next Sunday will be the first of four Sunday night prayer meetings in a row as a part of the six weeks of Easter. Four Sunday night prayer meetings from six to seven. I want to ask you, don't plan anything else that day, that evening. Plan to be with us for these four weeks of prayer. Let's become... A church that is devoted to prayer. Not just one that dabbles in it. Not just one that prays for the prayer requests and nothing else. That never gets beyond that. Let's be a church that wrestles in prayer. Pinning Satan to the ground. So that the church can stand firm in God's will. Mature and fully assured. Would you bow for prayer? Father, I thank you today for this challenge from Paul's words 
to the Colossians. Devote yourselves to prayer. Thank you, God. Because so many times we get, we get busy or maybe, frankly, we get lazy. And we don't pray. And if we do pray, we say superficial prayers. God, we've forgotten what it's like to wrestle in prayer. To wrestle in prayer and to try to pin the enemy down. So that we as a church can move forward, can stand up firmly in your will. Forgive us for that, God. And I pray that today you would help us to to commit to this. This is not an option for us. We are the church. We are the church and the church prays. And the church is devoted to prayer. And maybe we as individuals from time to time need that reminder because we tend to lose our way and and get involved in so many other things and yet you're calling us to return to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. We consecrate ourselves to that today, Father. We consecrate ourselves to being devoted to prayer. We present ourselves before you. We ask for your help. Help us to be men and women of prayer. Raise up an army of Epaphrases to wrestle in prayer. Help us to be a part of that army. In Jesus' name, amen.